In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The sudden appearance of angels frightened the shepherds. They're kind of scared out of their wits, as I think most of us would be. And so we should look at that fear and learn from that to know what it is that we have deserved from God. That because of our sin, death and hell and all manner of evil and wickedness should belong to us. We should be afraid at the presence of the angel and the sound of his voice. We ought to lie under God's wrath. And the fact that an angel has shown up should fill everyone's heart with fear and terror, removing all hope. But then the angel speaks, and there is more in his words. For God has sent this angel so that you would know that in Christ God's wrath and damnation are no longer upon you. Christ Jesus, by his work of reconciliation, prepares for you forgiveness and life, eternal freedom from all that oppresses and saddens your hearts. Now, the only way to miss out on this comfort is to ignore it, dismiss it, mock it, despise it. I think many of us know what that's like. Perhaps you have found yourself at times without the comfort of the angel's words. Perhaps you have followed those who deny this grace and this heavenly treasure, and you feel your heart again and again filled up with fear. Maybe you've found yourself unable to hear these comforting words above the noise of the world and the incessant demands that the world makes of you. You want to hear those words, but they just keep getting drowned out. Maybe you've listened to these angels' words before. Maybe you even know them by heart, but you don't apply them to yourself. You confess that these are promises of God and these things are true, but you believe yourself so unworthy that you refuse to believe them. Or you hear these promises and you think their, their comfort is only for others. You are without the comfort of belonging to God's elect. Living in this world, in this troubled world, is a temptation that you would join them in their trouble. But the world is troubled, not because of all the problems that surround them, but because they are without God's word. And so, even so, you feel the pull of the world, the desire to follow the example of those without this word of God, to follow human reason and disregard the Lord's angel and what he says. It's not a surprise to any of you to tell you that hard times are all around us. But ask the important people of our society and 
No one seems to know exactly what caused it. The experts have lots of options for blame, though. They'll tell you you can blame the president or Congress, greedy capitalism or foreign dictators. But none of them are willing to take responsibility. And since we seem to be blissfully unaware of the true cause of all our troubles, we look anywhere and everywhere for the possible solution. Maybe we need to make sure the right people are paying their fair share. Maybe I need to make myself look as Christian and loving as possible. I need to ensure the oppressed are not marginalized. I need to offer the right sacrifices to the climate gods. Or maybe it will help if we set up altars to Satan in state capitals. Maybe the right way is to just force everyone to make sure that I get my rights. But consider for just a moment God's unspeakable kindness and infinite mercy given us in this gospel. And then think of the way that each of us has blasphemously been ungrateful for this. We've held contempt against God for his gift. We have each dismissed God's gifts. We have all turned away. So should we not be surprised if God would judge us with the fruit of our sin? If he were to permit us to know famine and plague? If he let us fall into false belief and heresy? He were to punish us with all war and political oppression and even death. Or turn it around. Say you had rescued someone from certain death, and then that person responds by despising and mocking you, even defaming you and laying the blame for the whole affair at your feet. But then, following their despising of your gift that person suddenly came to ruin. Would we not think of that destruction as the judgment of God? So why is it then that we suppose that God will be patient with us in our despising of his gifts? And yet we come back. We embrace his mercy for a moment and then we go back out to our shameless, lawless life. We rejoice when the Christmas tree is laden with presents. We might even pause to thank the person who gave them to us. But then we just as easily forget to thank God for those things. This is the way of the world. And yet the world, when it comes to Christmas, is right about something. Because the world rightly says that Christmas is important. After all, what store hasn't been filled up with Christmas music and decor since before All Hallows' Eve? Another Christian holiday, by the way. Yes, the world says that Christmas is important. They might even say, like the McDonald's restaurant down the road, Jesus is the reason for the season. But I'm fairly certain that if you were to walk into Mickey D's, you're not going to find Jesus there. 
He's not the little treasure that comes with the Happy Meal. Or listen to what the world says about Jesus. Really listen to what they say. Listen to the musical lyrics, to the political discourse. And then also pay attention to what you aren't allowed to say. You won't hear them preaching the real Jesus. They might proclaim a Christmas Jesus who is all about generosity and peace and goodwill in men's hearts. They might even go on to call these things the spirit of Christmas. But you'll never find the world preaching the Jesus who is crucified, the one who is proclaimed here and found upon this altar. Yes, the world wears all the trappings of Christmas, and we can sing their songs and rejoice with them, but peel away all those trappings and you'll find it's just a false Christ. Whether it's materialism or the moralism that earns you gifts from jolly old Saint Nick, or the universalism that says there really is no naughty list, In this way, the world scorns and mocks the greatest of all gifts. And if the world despises this gift so shamelessly, then should we be surprised when God brings his judgment on the world and those in it? Or if we presume to live in our homes as though Jesus is only confessed and talked about at church, then should we be surprised when our homes get filled with strife and bitterness and anger. We live our lives as though we have more important things to do and believe it's better to just not gather with the people of God. And should we be surprised if God withdraws his grace and blessing? You see, God is always giving. And yet, we so often think that we have better things to receive than what God gives. In one of our early readings tonight, God had invited King Ahaz to ask him for a sign. The king was on the verge of war, and God said that he would give King Ahaz a sign of protection and his presence in battle. But Ahaz refused. He said, oh no, I'm not going to put God to the test. He thinks that it's humility to to refuse this word of God. But Ahaz refuses the sign because he wants to do what he wants to do. God had called Ahaz to faith, and Ahaz doesn't want to have faith in God. He wants to put his faith in the stuff that's actually reliable, stuff like alliances and army and weapons. Not a silly thing like God. You see, Ahaz rejects God's word because he has faith in himself. And this exposes our sin. For no matter what we might say, we always seem to act according to faith, not necessarily according to knowledge. We act not according to information, but according to what we believe. We know that the nutrition facts say that, what the nutrition facts say about that extra slice of dessert. 
but we act according to the faith that says it, it's not going to hurt or it's not really going to matter. And this is how every single sin works. I act according to the faith that my sin isn't going to hurt me. I believe that it will make things better for me and I, I won't regret my sin. So you see that your sins are acts of faith, but faith in the wrong things. The rejection of the Lord and his gifts isn't just a little thing that we do now and then. The rejection of his gifts is a sign of our misplaced faith. When it comes to Christmas, I know there's a danger here in, in preaching to the people who have come and, and, and not um, to those who have not. But I'd also like to encourage you that if you haven't, consider coming to Christmas Day services as well. And, and, and just ask yourself whether it's a hardship to wait to open your Christmas presents until you've come to open and receive the best gift of all. And then consider what a great joy it is to come to a church full of people on Christmas Day who all say the same thing, that, that this is what matters about Christmas. It's even where the name comes from. Christmas is from Christ's Mass, Christ's divine service. And that's actually what all our Christmas services and all our services are about. But Christmas especially is about the security of God's goodness and mercy. It celebrates and delivers the forgiveness that, that you have in him. And even now, this night, God gives abundantly. And even as he gives himself to you, his whole self, he's not done giving gifts to you. Each day in the Lord's house, he gives you unique gifts. This morning was the gift of Jesus as the Lamb of God and the confession of the same and we rejoiced with our sister in Christ as she confessed that faith and was admitted to our Lord's altar. Tomorrow we will hear and receive the light of the world who enlightens our darkness. And tonight we rejoice in the angel's song. Now I don't know if you'll be totally satisfied with all the gifts that you get this year. God's greatest treasure is given out here. And his treasure is such that it takes a whole lifetime to receive all the gifts of your gracious Lord and Savior. Now, what we can say about receiving God's gifts or not is that built up, tied up in the, the reception of the gift is the gift itself. And so, if we are to say, well, we don't want God's gifts, then we're rejecting him.
And if we're deprived of Christ, then no earthly blessing can comfort or console. In tonight's intro at Antiphon, we sang of the Almighty Word who descended from the heavenly throne at midnight. And we hear this with, with great comfort. And yet, if we go and look up the text where this verse is recorded, we find that it's a description of the angel of death who comes to slaughter the firstborn of Egypt. This is truly what we all deserve. Right? Because of our sin and, and rejecting God's gifts, we deserve only grief and shame. God should withdraw his Savior from us that he has so graciously given. And yet, even so, he bestows on us the pledge and guarantee of his grace to us poor sinners. You see, God the Son is the Father's dearest treasure, more precious to him in all creation. And now this treasure is placed in the arms of this young mother. In this way, God loves the world. He hands over his most precious treasure for your benefit. He, and he gives you not only his own beloved son, but that his son would go and be the sacrifice on your behalf. That Jesus comes to go, comes to, go to the cross to pay your debt with his own person and life. And having won your salvation by his bloody death, he hands over his eternal life to you entirely by grace. In him you find the forgiveness of all your sins. You find eternal life and peace and health and joy and all the rest. For if God has given you this child his most wondrous and precious treasure, then all the other gifts in his storehouse must follow. In this way, by the gift of Jesus, God has already given you everything. And so when it comes to, these, to the angel's words, when he says, fear not, this is a call to forget your own sin and fear and your weakness before him. To leave your despair and sadness behind and let them trouble you no more. But the angel speaks, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Joy, says the angel, great joy. And thus the angel commands your fear to retreat and to be silent. He orders the despair to leave your heart, and you, thus freed from doubt and despair, are granted courage to stand up against your doubts, the conviction to be persuaded by the angel's promise that these tidings are tidings of comfort and joy because they are God's own word and will spoken to each of you. And thus you are entrusted with the godly duty to find comfort in these words. 
hear these words then as promises and comfort from your dear Lord. Though we have a long history of despising what God gives, he still gives. And so those first shepherds grab hold of this word and run off to Bethlehem. And there they find that everything the Lord had told them about was true. And having witnessed the fulfillment of the word, they now confess. They tell Joseph and Mary all they have heard. They speak and make known what they have heard and witnessed. And tonight, our joyful songs blend with theirs as we rejoice in all the gifts that our Lord gives. In the holy name of Jesus. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.